Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started. As we reach the end of the first season of Breaking Green Ceilings, I want to leave you with some more thought-provoking conversations. This one is with Ambika Rajagor, who is a disability rights advocate, among other things. She's also a founder of Disabled and Outdoors, a movement that is dedicated to celebrating disabled people enjoying the outdoors on their own terms. A few months back, while I was doing research on disability justice and environmentalism, I stumbled upon a post on Instagram of Ambika celebrating her sister Devika's 22nd birthday. In that post, Ambika talked about how a part of their relationship relied on being able to access and interact with nature. And in this case, it was the beach. Their story embodies everything that this podcast stands for, which is representation, equity, and bringing out the humanity of those who are marginalized in our society. In this episode, we talk in great detail about the role that nature and the outdoors has played in Ambika's relationship with her baby sister, Devika, and also in bringing the family together. Devika is a survivor of acute myeloid leukemia at just one year old and a warrior through all of the side effects of her chemotherapy, including epilepsy, mild CP, and a few other things. This has resulted in Devika being cognitively and physically disabled. And because Ambika is an amazing storyteller, we get some insight into Devika's cheeky personality, her discerning taste buds, and her deep admiration for Taylor Swift. This part of the story was really mind-blowing for me, so I really hope you get to it. We also talk about their visits to Yosemite National Park and road trips to various other national parks in Utah, Nevada, and Central California. Being outdoors for Ambika brings her peace and happiness, and being able to share that with Devika is a celebration. So in these parts of the conversation, Ambika shared details about their experiences accessing various trails and event parking lots, and also their interactions with other park visitors, some of which were kind and some not so kind. There are so many things I love about this conversation, especially that Ambika was honest and vulnerable about being her sister's caretaker and her biggest advocate. There aren't very many people I have come across in my life who are this authentic. Ambika is also unapologetic in her advocacy for increasing representation and access for people with disabilities, whether it's at a restaurant or a rally. And yes, she does share stories of this. This was important for me to see because her actions serve as an example of the role I can play to be a part of the movement. Finally, she shares her vision for change and provides advice on how we can all be better advocates for the disability community, especially as it relates to creating inclusive spaces and experiences outdoors. There are so many other interesting details in our conversation that this intro cannot do justice. So you just need to listen to Ambika and I really hope you like her story. Thank you again, Ambika, for making time to speak with us on the podcast. I wanted to start from the beginning, if possible, to your earliest memory of how you developed your passion for the natural environment. Yes. Thank you for having me, firstly. Of course. But yes, so my passion for the natural environment, I guess it was while I was growing up. So even around when I was seven or eight years old, my parents started taking us on road trips to national parks because like that's the... I guess like the most cost-friendly way to go on a vacation. We weren't really rich. So we would go on vacations to places like Yosemite and my parents would be like, okay, let's go on this trail and I'm going to teach you how to like appreciate where you are and like the earth. And they would always stress like how we need to treat the earth with respect. Like that was the biggest thing. And so my whole life, like while I've been hiking and while I've been trail running and things like that, I've just been also appreciating like the earth and treating it with respect. Like I pack in and pack out. I bring an extra bag on the trail to just like clean up like after what I see outside and just kind of allow myself to have that space in the outdoors and like that openness with the environment around me. Yeah. It's really fortunate that you've been able to visit the parks and you've also found some really smart financial hacks. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> to travel yeah. to these parks which can get quite expensive. So I 
if we have time later on in the conversation, I'd, I'd oh, love to sure. extract some of that from you. <laughs> for sure. I'll give you all my Google like doc and Excel spreadsheet hacks too. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> because I just feel like, especially for people of color, the data is there. We're really not represented in national parks or in natural spaces. And so I think that kind of information would be so helpful for families that have tighter budgets. Oh, yeah, no. And the benefits of being outdoors are far greater than, I don't know, just many things in life, <laughs> very many material things in life, right? I definitely agree. There's something like spiritually healthy about being outdoors, right. like from my personal experience. And then just like, I totally agree, like, especially for like brown families and families with both parents who like are working and just like don't have enough time to take kids outside. Like that's been a huge thing apart like of us growing up is like both my parents worked for the majority of my life. And like, it's not like we could go like to national parks every weekend or like we could do like, or like have that ability. Like we didn't have that kind of income where we could do that or do like, like rock climbing lessons. Like even though I wished I could or like ice skating or things like that, it was, wasn't accessible. Yeah. So how I came across you or how I was able to connect with you is I stumbled upon the latest post at that time on disabled and outdoors. And in that post, there was a picture of you and your assistant, Devika, and you were talking about how your experiences together in the outdoors has really been critical factor to both of you bonding, but also because it's created an opportunity for you and Devika to spend time in the outdoors. And you do mention in your post that she is physically and cognitively disabled. So when I read your story, I, at that time, was thinking about how in my current position at this point in my life, I'm trying to figure out how to be a more active advocate for people with disabilities. And your story with Devika, it kind of created the picture for me of what an advocate looks like. Or what an advocate could look like. And I was like, we have to talk to her because she's got all the answers. <laughs> no, I wish I had all the answers. I've got a few, but... Oh, yeah, I was just teasing no, you. No, 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 no. That, like, you're hyping me up. And I'm like, I'm so bad at receiving compliments. I'm really bad at that. Like, I, people will be like, oh, this or this about you. And I'd be like, no, don't praise me. Like, <laughs> I'm just a normal human being. No, I'm like... For some reason, like I just shut down, but I appreciate that. Thank you. No, and I'm so happy that we got to connect because like you're such an interesting person. And the fact that you created this platform to amplify voices of like advocates and just people who need their voices shared like that is so awesome and inspiring to me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Being an advocate mostly came from like my parents. They'd be like, okay, Devika couldn't talk growing up and she still can't talk. But having literally like no voice to be able to speak on her own behalf, my parents have been like, okay, you need to speak up for the both of you. And then when you do, you need to make sure like her best interests are like at the forefront. And so like that has been one of the leading things in my life is just like thinking about kids like my sister, like who literally can't speak and can't tell us like when they're hurting or can't tell us when they want things or can't tell us like what they need. What can I do? because I can speak, like, what can I do to make their lives a little easier, a little more enjoyable and things like that. So that's where my advocacy definitely came from. So I feel like this podcast is sort of like, or this episode is kind of an ode to her. Thank you. And so tell us a little bit about Devika. Okay, awesome. So Devika is my little sister. She just turned 22. Yeah, like two weeks ago. She's two years younger than me and she's my best friend. A few weeks before her first birthday, so when she's still a baby, she started getting fevers and rashes. And so my parents took her to the doctor. And instead of it being like a cold or anything like that, we actually found out through blood tests that it was leukemia. And so no one in my family had ever had cancer before. And my parents were just like, what is this? Like, what even is cancer? And they were like, oh, it's in her blood. And they were like, what? Was she born with it? Because we'd never noticed anything. She wasn't born with anything. We learned later. So she ended up getting diagnosed with AML leukemia, which was common for like middle-aged, like Caucasian adults, like, which was so random because here's like this little brown baby, like this Indian baby, and she's not even a year old and she's getting AML leukemia. 
So the chemotherapy she went through was really intense and experimental. And there's a chemical in the chemo called methotrexate that actually reacted badly with my sister to give her the side effects she has today. So now she has Lennox-Gestalt syndrome, severe epilepsy, mild CP, and cognitive issues that kind of freeze her in like this mental state of being like a toddler, except she's nonverbal. So that's where she's at. But none of these things limit her because the doctors pretty much told her, told my parents, like, give up on this kid. Like, she's not going to walk and she's not going to talk for the rest of her life. Like, this quality of life is going to be bad. Can I stop you there for a second? Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> when I read that in your blog article, I was shocked. But I was also thinking to myself that doctors say this crap often and it grinds my gears that they say this stuff. Oh, no, one of them even said something like, mentioned like styrofoam to my mom. And it was like, it'd be easier to just feed her styrofoam or something like that. What? Yeah, it was like something super offensive. And my mom was like, what the, like, I want to use expletives here. I'm going to try not to. (laughs) But no, yeah, you don't tell that to a mother. And this was all new to us. Like, no, we had never known anybody. Like, my parents were in the country for maybe like 15 years, I think, at the time. Like, not even that long. And so like, everything was new to us. And so this was just crazy, like that it even happened. And like, we just moved into a new city and like all this stuff was happening at the same time. And so when they told that to my mom, my mom was just like, thanks for your opinion. And so then she ended up taking her to all kinds of therapies. So we went to different alternative therapies. So we would of course go to like her oncologist and her neurologist on a monthly basis, but we also would go to like NADT therapy. How old was she? Maybe she was five. I was definitely in elementary school. My sister took her second set of first steps. And so my mom like recorded a video of my sister taking her second set of first steps and was mm-hmm. just like, like at the doctor, she's just like, uh-huh, you were saying. <laughs> but that's how much like my parents just like, don't give up. My mom was not going to just take no as an answer. Later on though, my sister did get progressively worse, like with the epilepsy. So now she's not walking anymore. This is a recent development, but the fact that she like was able to walk for that period of her life is just like a triumph for us in her book. So that's like her, I'm trying to think like her Cliff Notes version of her medical file. But aside from that, my sister is a huge Taylor Swift fan. It's insane. Like she, (laughs) and it's wild because Taylor Swift's voice is the only voice of an artist that my sister like responds to that and like Selena Gomez, but mostly Taylor Swift. (laughs) I know it's like Disney stars. That's amazing. Right? (laughs) She was like in a coma two years ago and her blood pressure would spike. And when we would play like Taylor Swift songs, her blood pressure would just like calm down. And then we were actually playing like Shake It Off when she opened her eyes for the first time in a month. My gosh. So yeah, that's like her defining personality trait is like she's a diehard Swifty <laughs> and loves Taco Bell, but that's outside of the question. <laughs> oh, Taco Bell. I yes. lived on that most of my undergrad years, but it's delicious. <laughs> She's such a teenager. Like she will refuse food unless it's from Taco Bell and she knows when it's a homemade burrito. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of the word. She has a discerning palate. (laughs) She definitely does. We would like switch out her grape juice because she loves grape juice. We'd switch it out for like water and she would know the difference like immediately even if we put water in the grape juice box. (laughs) But yes. That's quite a prank there. Yeah, but the, that's my sister and like her personality nutshell, plus the Cliff Notes version of her medical file. Yeah, so I was just, when you told me about the Taylor Swift story, I was like, this is a miracle and you need to get in touch with Taylor Swift, but you said you already did try. I tried so hard. It's so hard to go viral and like, I don't even know. Like I Googled like, how do you make a video go viral? And like, it was a working for us. I don't know, I just, I would, love to see my sister's face if she ever like got like a personal interaction yeah i think that would be so amazing well i can't guarantee that this podcast with <laughs> taylor swift's Thank ears but... <laughs> i'll do anything for you that's quite a story i really like that story so you and devika you've spent a lot of time outdoors what have some of your memorable moments been together so there's so many So I'll start with like a small one and then I'll do a big one. So the small one is the first time we took her to the beach and just like the, her walking on the beach, like there's a video my mom has on her phone and it just, I watch it sometimes and just like play it back the way she could walk on sand. And like, it was, she was fearless because like she didn't care if she fell or, and like, it'd be safe if she has like a drop seizure. 
and when she would like hold sand and feel it go through her fingers, like she was so fascinated. So that's like one picture I could never get out of my head. But another thing, definitely the mist trail in Yosemite. I took her on a trip with my mom and my other sister, Mira, to Yosemite. And then we went, I like trained before we went so that way I could push her wheelchair up the trail just to get to like the steps. Because when you're at the steps, you can see the waterfall and you can also like pass this cute little bridge. And I was like, no, this is totally doable. It's a ramp. I've done it before. Definitely wasn't doable. <laughs> but like the way that the, trail was elevating was just like not working for the wheelchair and I was not as strong as I thought I was also it was very narrow so people were very angry at us because I was like, taking all the space on the trail but it's definitely like one of my favorite times because it was like one of those moments where like you want to feel invincible for a minute and like you see her smiling and you're just like okay I can do this like I'll just keep going and then you're like okay maybe not but I'm gonna go down <laughs> yeah. trying let her smile energize you. Yes. Or give yes. you the power. <laughs> yes. So what has it meant for you to be able to spend time with her outdoors? It means the world to me. Like, I feel like that's just like a cliche statement, but it really does. Because being outdoors is something I love, like on an individual level. It's something that like brings me peace and just brings me like a happiness to a degree. And then like being able to share that with my sister in like any capacity that we can is like a celebration. Even if she can't hike or like do these mountain trails with me, like I'll FaceTime her at the top, like, and just uh, my mom is with her and we kind of share the experience together. Just being able to share the experience of being outdoors, it means so much to me because like there's so many other things we can't share together. It's like we can't have those experiences of like me helping her get ready for prom or me going to her high school graduate, like, well, her high school graduation, we went to like in a drive-through celebration this year but like seeing her oh, yeah. walk, seeing her walk across the stage was like one of those things that like I wanted to see like as a big sister or like helping her fill out college applications like we don't get that um so like when we're outside and we do these trips like okay we can't get these like textbook milestones but we can have these other milestones where we like we can knock off these national parks together and we can knock off these like famous trails and sites together and share that so those I hold dear because it's something I love. I want to believe she loves too. Yeah, I think it's what you were saying about these textbook milestones. You're creating your own type of normal, if I can mm -hmm. say that. And I think one thing I'm realizing is that there's nothing that's normal in a sense. Like just because you have to check certain number of types or numbers of boxes doesn't make it normal. And I love that for you, what brings you and your family together and Devika is your love for the outdoors, for nature. And when you talk about it, I can kind of hear the energy and the vibrance of the experience that all of that kind of culminates into. I feel like for you all, being in nature is in a sense kind of what helps power you all Yes, definitely. in a weird way. No, I definitely agree with that. Going into nature is kind of like a healing experience for me, like my personal experiences. And so like even just growing up, like my parents, that was like the solution is just like you go outdoors and you connect and that's how you like deal with things. Like you go ask the earth to answer your problems kind of thing. Obviously, like there's more to it than that, but just like being able to connect and realize like go to a big place like the Grand Canyon and then think about yourself in the great picture of a world. Like that's a healing experience in itself because it's like it makes you reconsider like all the things that you are troubled by like on a daily basis not that they aren't valid but just like have them in a different perspective so like that's what being outdoors has done for me and especially with Devika is like it's helped bring a new perspective of like this is what we can do and what we can accomplish together but yeah like like you said like creating our like quote unquote normal like I've thought about that so much through my life is like what is normal because normal for someone else is definitely not normal for my family and I think like yeah, just the idea of normal is defined by like the individual because like my normal will never be like kids going to like soccer when you're growing up. My normal is growing up in like waiting rooms for doctor's offices. My normal is, I don't know, it's not like sibling like rivalries with my little sister. It's more like she's not stealing my clothes from my closet. It's more like I'm dressing her up in outfits that I think like her personality would fit. Yeah, if she had like that chance to outwardly express it. But yeah, so normal is... What we define it, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So over time, you mentioned that Devika hasn't been able to walk. 
and you've had to use a wheelchair to get around. And part of your advocacy is also creating access for people with disabilities into the outdoors. So what have some of the challenges you faced when you've gone into the outdoors? I don't think into the outdoors is the right I know, word. I always use that phrase. I'm like, when I'm going <laughs> No, 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 you're good. Because like in and out. But I feel like it works here in my opinion. I don't know. <laughs> I won't police your grammar. Yeah. I'll just try and keep it simple. What are some of the challenges you've faced? And have you felt welcomed? And I only asked that because earlier on, you mentioned that when you were trying to get onto a bridge, a narrow bridge in Yosemite, people were angry at you yeah for taking up space so if you could tell us what are some of those challenges you face and how people have received you and your family yeah so this is loaded because it's like their social experiences like culturally and then the outdoors experience on an individual level but uh, as far as the outdoors like I definitely think that the outdoor community has a lot of work to do when it comes to disabled accessibility mm-hmm because there are disabled spaces in the national parks and state parks and things like that, but it's only because of like more recent additions and more recent advocacy efforts. And even still, it's just like they're few and far between. So it's like, as far as like some of the challenges we've faced, there's like not enough wheelchair spaces or like trail accessibility for people in wheelchairs or people who need assisted walking devices because like either it's too narrow and like people who have walking devices, even just like walking sticks, aren't able to go up without somebody who's coming down, like having a a weird interaction with them. And it also depends, like you don't know who's going to come down, like what type of person they are, if they're like not nice at all, like how my sister and I have experienced, like we've experienced both sides of the spectrum. We've got people who are like, oh, let me help you with the wheelchair. And then we've got people who are like, why did you even bring her here? So there definitely needs to be more work done as far as like making trails more accessible. So just like Devika and taking her wheelchair to national parks, just having those like spaces accessible. Like if you see there's only like four or five wheelchair accessible spots, sometimes I see people who are just like parked there anyway and they're like a large group of friends and they like they park there just because they think like no one's gonna be there for a little bit and they can just take that spot if they feel like it. And we're like, no, because it's so hard to take a wheelchair out when you're in a normal parking space. Like it's so hard to get the guy into the wheelchair. My mom like does the heavy lifting and I help her just like we do like a fireman kind of carry where it's like my mom will take her upper body, I'll take her lower body. And there needs to be space for that. But yeah, just like that in the parking spaces, campgrounds and things like that. Like if there are showers that are disabled accessible, things like that, that I don't see as often and I would like to see more of. But yes, we have definitely felt welcome though. I feel like I'm only talking about like the experiences I've had where I'm like, no, but um, focusing on the positive. We felt welcome like in our inner circles, like my friends, when they come with us on trips, they help push my little sister like up to the top of the trailhead. Like recently we went to Yosemite, we went to Lower Yosemite Falls Mirror Lake Trail, which are two disabled accessible trails, but there's a quite an elevation to it in certain areas. So my friends, like we all love to like be active together. And one of my friends, Carmela, she was just like, let me push her. Like let's, and my other friend, Hanan was like, yeah, let's take turns. And they pushed her wheelchair so my mom could have a break and I could have a break, which was really cool. Like it helped us feel like we were welcome in our own group, but also just like on the trail and just like having that like support has been really important. And then even sometimes like we'd have like, there were actual like Yosemite park rangers that were really helpful to us with my sister. We went to see the firefall or we tried to see the firefall on El Capitan and there were like no disabled accessible parking spaces and one of the rangers like created a spot for us so that way we could like park and like my sister could have like a good view without anybody standing in front of her so there's like those little angels out there that I like I will always appreciate my mom has like a iPhone photo album because every time someone's nice to us she takes a picture with them (laughs) it's really funny because she like We'll have people at like restaurants who will move tables if we have Devika with us. And then my mom will be like, that's so nice. You didn't have to do that. Can I take a picture? But it's just like a reflection on just like the kind people that are out there. Like not everybody is terrible because we've seen and we've met so many people that have like antagonized my sister and like my family. So like when we do see those nice people and have those experiences, we want to highlight and celebrate them. Yeah, that's such a good practice because... It reminds you of those who have treated you fairly in moments where you feel like the world is unfair. 
Yeah. And I think those kind of like physical reminders are are helpful rather than just being like, oh yeah, I remember. I guess I'm speaking from my, my own personal experiences. If I feel down or bad about something, then it's harder for me to remember the good things, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can just scroll through your photo album and be like, oh yeah, <laughs> I've been places and oh, look at my crazy dog. Like she's cute. Like, yeah, I have something to live for. Yeah. yeah. That type of stuff. My mom calls them like confetti moments. She's like, remember when that person like took us all the way up in Sedona? Like, don't forget people like that are yes. out there. <laughs> yeah, that is such a healthy way of viewing the world, I think, because you can't hold on to, I guess, like you were saying, some of the negative things that have happened and how people have treated you and your family. So, yeah. I really like that idea. I think I might just adopt that one. <laughs> Definitely. No, it's like, it's so easy to just hold on to those things. Because believe me, I went through like, I've been through and I still experience like times that I'm just like thinking about all the things that have gone wrong and things I wish like went mm-hmm. right. And like things I wish I would have said or done to people who like treated my family bad or my sister bad. And like, I just remember like the good ones, the good experiences. And I'm like, okay. Because of those experiences, like that makes me want to go out and become a better advocate and speak up more. Because I, I did grow up like speaking up for my sister. Like if people would stand in front of her wheelchair at like Disneyland, I'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> but then there have been other situations where like, I didn't know what to say. Like I was just so shocked by that, ex- like the negativity in the experience. I was like, I didn't say yeah. anything. But holding on to like the positive experiences, like, okay, maybe some people need to be like, the way I respond to situations matters too. And like being able to highlight on the good ones helps me respond better to the negative ones. Mm -hmm. When you were talking about the challenges, you're like, you don't want to talk about just the bad, but there are also positive things where people have been able to help you. In terms of like infrastructure wise and information wise, what has made it possible for you and the family to access nature or the outdoors? So different types of wheelchairs for sure, because that's one thing. So like, as far as like accessible tools, like there's beach wheelchairs that exist that we can rent. So they're cost-free that have been able to like take her onto the sand and there's trail wheelchairs that exist. Those are super expensive and not able to rent. But the fact that it exists is one thing for us to kind of look forward to as far as just like on the hope that there's like a scholarship out there I can apply to. So that's one thing for like tools and then resources wise, I mean, there's definitely room for growth, but being able to like Google and research places beforehand has been helpful. Mostly when I plan any of my trips, like I always, I'm heavy on the research before I go somewhere. I'm like, well, willy nilly plan to go there, but the entire time we're on the way, I'll like go through everything. So I'm like an expert on the place before we go. As far as like maps, I'll know exactly like where is disabled accessible, which one has wheelchair friendly bathrooms, lots of like parking spaces and things like that. So my sister can go there like that kind of research, like being able to access the maps. And those are through like national park websites or the state park websites, or like I'll just Google like wheelchair friendly spaces in here and just go to wherever is like the top options for me. But unfortunately, like most of the time it's less than a full page of like a Google search. So there's definitely room for improvement as far as like materials out there that exist. Yeah. Most of the time it's very much like a, you have to really go there to see for yourself. And so when that happens, like that's happened so many times, like with my family, like we'd go to Sedona or we'd go to the Grand Canyon and we went to pre-COVID and we went to like Morro Bay and stuff like that. And we had to pretty much just go there and then document for ourselves, like for future reference or like I'd post about it on my social medias and be like, okay, if anybody has a wheelchair, like this is what you need to do and things like that. I put that on my socials for sure. And I always put it like I'm starting a guide on my website as far as just like accessible places on all our adventures. Because I just want to like be a part of adding to that growing list of us on the Google search, just because it kind of sucks. Like you might not know how accessible it is until you get there. It's a gamble really. And it's like, when we go places with my sister, like my mom's personality and my personality are very like, if we want to do something, we'll do it. Like, if we want to take my sister somewhere, if a wheelchair can't go there, we'll carry her there. But it's not the same for everybody, definitely. Because it's like my mom's getting older and like I literally have a broken femur right now. So I don't know when I'm going to be able to bear weight. So just like being able to have those resources online. So it's not as much of a gamble for when people want to go places. That is a goal for me. Yeah. 
It's interesting that you mentioned that sometimes the information online isn't accurate because I was just released an episode with the founder of Disabled Hikers, Siren Nagakiri, and she was talking about how that was the same experience she had. She would do a lot of research just like you, only to find out that once you were there, none of that information was accurate. I can only imagine how annoying that would be because it's like, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but you go to a restaurant that has five stars and you have like a crappy experience, right? Pretty much, yeah. Gosh, that might be so frustrating because it's a matter of whether you're able to access or not, basically. Exactly that. And like, you take all this like time and energy into planning and then you get there and you're like, oh, I can't even do anything. Mm-hmm. Like that happened. We went to Bryce Canyon like over New Year's. We did this like whole Southwest road trip. I took my parents and my so sisters cool. on. Yeah, no, I was just trying. I got that like Christmas. Like I was working super hard like for the whole year. So I unlocked that Christmas bonus and I was like, okay, dropping it all on a family trip. <laughs> like, But no, we got to go to like, Utah, all over Utah, and then to Death Valley up near in Nevada and Central California and just experience that. But then, for example, like when we were in Bryce, we were like, okay, I knew exactly like the places I wanted to go. Like most of them were pull-out spots, so we didn't have to take her out of the car for her to have to like, for her to be able to see mm. the whole canyon and stuff like that, which was nice. Wow. But there were some spots where we did have to take her out, but it was snowing because it was winter. And so... I didn't even think about it until like we were there, but I was hiking Angel's Landing when we were in Zion. I went by myself and I bought micro spikes from my hiking boots. So that way I wouldn't like slip on the ice. And then I didn't even think about like when we were in Bryce, how do we push a wheelchair through snow? Because it is so hard. And some people like I asked the people at like the visitor center and some people were like, oh, it's going to be hard, but you could totally do it. Like we put salt on the ground or like would there some accessible spaces, which was true, but then the weather is very fickle. So the weather kind of decides whether or not we could do that. And we couldn't for some situations. Like I would have to like put the micro spike on her wheelchair chair. Like it was a travel wheelchair. There were smaller wheels. And like that made her traction better on the ice, which... Look at you. I mean, I was trying. I was like, (laughs) you are going to see the sunset and I am not stopping it. Like if my dad had to help me carry her wheelchair, like we were going to make sure she saw it. But different things like that. Like we got there and we were totally hoping we could take her to see the sunset easily without like mm-hmm. extending too much of all of our energy. But we had to like adjust as we went. But it could have easily gone the other way. Like we could have easily like not been able to do that. And then she wouldn't have had that experience. And we had gone all the way out there for her to just not be able to experience it, which I would not have wanted and would want to prevent for other people. Yeah. And so did she get to see the sunset? She did. She did. Woo-hoo. I think it's like a video my dad took. I'm just like <laughs> struggling and I'm like pushing her up the ice. And it's like you get to parts where it's like icy snow and then you get to parts where it's just powder snow and the wheelchair doesn't do well in either. Mm. But it like the varying lengths of difficulty feels like a video game. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. But she saw it and she smiled and I got some awesome golden hour pictures of her. <laughs> It's all that you need, right? Or it just makes it worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's really anything for the smile. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It makes me jealous. I wish I had sisters like you. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's like the way my parents are. It's like, I definitely remember having moments in my childhood because like I have middle child syndrome, like we talked about, but it's like moments in my childhood where I was like, why do I have to do this? Like, why can't you do this? Yeah, totally. Yeah. But um, I've like learned like growing up, it's like, especially through like all our shared experiences, like and seeing how other people react to my sister and kids like her, like that have taught me like as an advocate, I could always be doing better. And like as a sister, I could always be doing better. And so my parents have always been just like, if it, the roles were reversed, like Devika would do this for you because there's no way we wouldn't let her like make her do this for you. So you need to like, I guess just like accept this is what our present is. And then do the best you can to be a better advocate. Yeah. I hope my sisters don't listen to this episode. because I... I know. I was just thinking. I just threw some shade. My older sister, especially, she's going to be like, do I even exist in your story? <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. We know <laughs> you do, Mira. Mira. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I think it's that sisterly love. And yes, yes, 
when we're kids, we fought, we did. It got dirty, <laughs> got nasty, but I think it's just, it did help us just, I think, grow closer together. And that kind of conflict combined with happy times, of course, is, is really yes. essential. So, yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be always be like, every time I would get, I learned like immediately for some reason my life is like instant karma. So anytime I get like mildly jealous or upset of like attention that Devika was getting, like as a child, something would happen and it'd be like, oh my God, why did I ever say anything? Like I never like, she'd have a seizure right after and I'd be like, oh my God, like I'm the worst sister ever. Like I need to do like just instant karma where I'd have to realize like whatever my interactions are with my sister, with even just like any other person, just like I need to make sure that it's a good one, like a good interaction. Yeah. But yeah, just like building that sisterly love is like a struggle, but definitely worth it. It teaches you about like interacting with other people. Mm-hmm. Truly, truly it does. It does. So we've been talking about how you're an advocate, a disability justice advocate, and you recently became the co-founder of Disabled and Outdoors, which congratulations. That's uh, quite you. a feat. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yes, no, Aura, the original creator was just like, dude, you're doing all this. Like, we need to be co-founders in this. Or like, we're basically just calling each other founders. And then co-founders, I guess, is like the original, is like the official term. But we just call each other founders because we, we're trying to build something here for sure. To like make sure everybody feels included, but also create that kind of like systemic change in the outdoor industry and in the outdoor like culture to be like, okay, we are here and we exist. And just because there's not enough marketing about us doesn't mean that there couldn't be. And just because there's not enough trail spaces out there for us, like doesn't mean there couldn't be. We are here to like not just amplify voices of disabled people in the outdoors and like special needs people in the outdoors, but it's like also just walk it like we talk it. Like we're not here just saying we want this. We're out here like trying to actively make that change. And so like the last time we spoke, most of this is still in development, but it's like we're slowly taking those steps to get more legit and like be able to create those spaces to be able to give back to the community that's like supporting us. Yeah. And so as founder, what are you doing with Disabled and Outdoors? And what is your vision of for change? Yeah. So currently we have just an Instagram page and like a Facebook page that our Instagram page is like auto post to. And on that page, we create like graphics and resources where people can not only like meet other people in the disabled outdoor community, but also just tag these companies and make sure people are aware of like the kind of change we're trying to bring. So we have that, we have like a protest thing that we posted about like how to be outdoors and protest, like well, during COVID and things like that. So creating resources and graphics is one thing. And then reposting other people in the disabled outdoor community just to amplify their voices because there's so many stories that are going untold. Like no one disabled story is the same. And so I think that's huge to be able to like have this platform to say like, hey, I want you to share your story and I want other people to know like what you're going through and how they could be better advocates to making sure like if there's any problems that you're experiencing, we can make sure like there's more spaces for that in the future, but also just highlight like all the triumphs and all the joys that people experience in the outdoors because yeah, it's just, you don't need to be active in the outdoors to be able to appreciate it. Like you don't have to be a hiker. You don't have to be a runner. You don't have to be a climber. It's great that if you are, but it's about just being able to share this appreciation. Like you can be gardening and you're outdoors and that doesn't like you're disabled in outdoors, things like that. Like you can appreciate it in whatever capacity you are able to and in any capacity that you can, and that still counts. And like, we want to highlight that and be like, okay, celebrate the outdoors on your own terms. And what can we do to make this like just more seen and more represented? Yeah. I really like what you said in terms of what can we do to make you feel more seen? That's so important because we don't see enough of it. <laughs> no, lack of a better way of describing don't. it. There's always like these ableist type of ideologies or ideas and images that you see of people kind of like scaling mountains and rock climbing and stuff like that. And you're so right. You don't have to be doing this stuff for your experience to be defined as being outdoors. It could be just you sitting outside in a park or in your backyard even and just observing nature. Yes, 
definitely. And it's just, it's about celebrating that. Cause it's like, we want to say like, you can do that. You can be active and run and like climb and do anything and like power to you. But even if you don't want to do that, that's cool too. Mm-hmm. You still count and your story still counts. Yeah. And so does the experience. And so like, that's one of the biggest things we want to push with disabled outdoors is just do that. And then not do that kind of like, cause I know like we see a lot of what little we do see of disabled people in the outdoors or disabled stories on social media is like those inspiration things. And it's like, man, not everything has to be inspiration porn. Like sometimes mm-hmm. people just want to be like, Hey, I'm here. And like, why can't we have an influencer who isn't promoting like their inspiring story, but they're like, okay, here's an awesome program that helped me. And like things like that. It's just like, not everything has to be an inspiring story. Sometimes it's just someone just like, sharing an experience. Yeah. I recently did come across the word inspiration porn when talking to Siren from Disabled Hikers. Oh, we overlap so much. <laughs> yes. And also, no, because you each have your own unique experiences. Yes. yes. But the overlap for me indicates that there are shared experiences and it further confirms that we need to do something about this. This is not a challenge that is unique only to Siren, for example, or unique only to Devika, or unique only to you. This is kind of like a pervasive problem that we need to like nip in the bud <laughs> is the way I see it. Yeah, and it's, I definitely agree. And I think it's kind of just like a, we need to be more like as an outdoor community, because as a caretaker, I'm an able-bodied caretaker for my sister. But like, we need to be more open about like, okay, there are so many different stories that are out here being told and why aren't highlighting that and like start highlighting them instead of just perpetuating whatever's going on. And I could, that's what, one of the things I love about like what's going on right now is like the conversation is becoming more inclusive. And like, I'm on this committee, this diversity, equity, and inclusion committee for the Thin Air show. And they are really on point about just like making sure that I keep using the word access, but like, that's true the experiences are inclusive of like all audiences, like BIPOC voices and also disabled voices and the combination of that in the outdoor industry. So I really like that. So what can able-bodied people do to be advocates for people with disabilities? Oh, I love this question just because like, I get this a lot too, because people are like, well, you're not disabled. Why do you even care about this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yes, I'm not disabled. That That obviously is like, a fact but I am one of my sister's caretakers along with my mom and like my sister literally can't speak so I have to be able to speak for her and like through our experiences I've just been like okay as an able-bodied person what can I do and to make your life easier I think one thing is acknowledging privilege is one thing and especially in different spaces so it's like okay when I go on this hiking trail what makes it so easy for me that wouldn't be so easy for someone with a disability and like how can I help make that easier for them if they want to come on a hike with me and like my sister's case it's like okay some hikes she can't do because she literally can't walk anymore so how can I make the wheelchair like able to go on these terrains other things that disabled people or able-bodied people can do to be better advocates for people with disabilities are just creating spaces and like opportunities so being a part of these programs like advocating into developing more trails and more access and more like, I guess, just being more inclusive, I think is a huge thing. And like, especially in the outdoor space, able-bodied people like in positions of power, like as far as e-boards go and things like that, like they could create more opportunities in their marketing programs, in their employment programs, in their outdoor research programs to be more inclusive about people with disabilities. I know all trails is doing a great job. Like they're looking out to like hire people with disabilities who go hiking or like who go outdoors and they're trying to like hire them to say, Hey, these are the trails that work for me. These are trails that don't work for me. So I think that's one good, like positive change I've seen. Like I've seen firsthand. I'd like to see more of it from like bigger companies and just be like, we're not just about like advertising more people. We also want to create job opportunities that will make a more inclusive environment because it's kind of like a, as someone who is able-bodied, like I can only help to an extent, but my thoughts on what's accessible are only from my perspective. So it's like, how can I take what somebody else is saying from their perspective and like listen to what they're saying and create that space for them and help them create a space for them so that way, like the advice that they're giving on like ways to help, like that actually comes out mm-hmm. to fruition. Yeah. 
But yes, I think those are ways that able-bodied people can be better advocates for people with disabilities. And also being a good person. <laughs> I feel like, is that, am I allowed to say that? Like yeah. being a good person and like thinking about what somebody else is going through. Yeah. Which I guess goes back to just like perspective and acknowledging privilege, but it's just like being cautious of what you say, the terms people say, sometimes they're just like offensive straight up. It's just like, I don't want to hear you like saying R word in front of my sister when I'm on a trail or like as a joke or anything like that. Like not okay. Think about the words before you say them. Just be a good person. Like if somebody, you obviously see someone struggling, like ask them if they want help. Because for me, like personally, like it's always been nice when people like have seen us struggling and they ask us. I'm only speaking on my own behalf because I know some people are like, no, I don't need help, which is totally fine. For us, it's just like out of my own personal experience, that's been really nice. It's just like when people are like, hey, I see you're struggling. What can I do to help you? Instead of just like laughing or walking by or just like not doing anything at all. And it's just like, okay, well, I guess we'll just be stuck in this ditch. Like, Yeah. Well, those are all really good tips. And I feel like the one about just recognizing your privilege, gosh, that's like the hardest. But once you're able to do that, it just really takes you then to the next level of how can you be, I guess, an active bystander when needed. Yeah, I think that acknowledging privilege is a huge thing. And it it makes you a better advocate, I think, in my opinion, just because like as a caretaker, like that's my perspective. But like now when I go places, I always think about them through the lens of my sister. Uh, this has been my my whole life, but it's like, I think about things as through the lens of what could my sister do if she was here with me? And like, what would she be able to do? And like, why isn't this available to people like her? So I think like having that privilege, like you're able to say like, you're able to call them out and be like, hey, why isn't this disabled friendly? Like I recently went to like a, not recently, last year, went to like this rally and it wasn't disabled ac- like accessible at all. And they kind of like made it seem like it wasn't a space for people with disabilities. And I was just like, okay, well, obviously, if my sister was like my age and going to these with me, like I would want her to feel like she's just as welcome as anyone else. So what can I do to be a better advocate? Because there probably is someone like my sister who wants to go out there and be there. My perspective is as an advocate for my sister. So I'm speaking on behalf of myself and like my sister's experiences on like what an able-bodied person could do to help people with disabilities. But I feel like it would totally be different. Not totally, but I said like, totally, like so sure. (laughs) I feel like it would be different coming from someone who has disabilities because our perspectives are different. And I'm speaking because like, this is what is normal to me. Yes. And like with my experience with my sister who couldn't speak for herself, but there are people who have disabilities who can speak for themselves. And like their opinions on what able-bodied people can do as advocates is like, I would weigh that a little more heavily than like what mine are as an advocate not discounting like my personal experiences, but just like saying like their perspectives and suggestions are just as, if not more valued mm-hmm. in this conversation. Yeah. And I think it's this whole idea of allyship, right? And I think mm-hmm. that adds to the power of the voices and bringing about change. You being an advocate, it doesn't mean that you have to have a disability in order for you to be an advocate. For me, I don't believe that it should be that way and so then comes in this this idea of yes I recognize the privileges that I have and how can I use that as a way to be a better ally and I guess I don't like that word ally so much but that's all I can think of right now (laughs) no I think just like as far as like terms for people who want to advocate or be allies I like the term allies for a while until I started seeing it be abused and I was like oh yeah they killed it for us But yeah, I think you're right in the sense that like, in order to be someone who's supportive, you don't need to be able to have gone through it yourself. You just need to have empathy, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. (laughs) Like you just need to have empathy for people who are experiencing it. But a lot like, like when we look at like different like racial experiences, it's like you just need to have empathy for people who have gone through experiences that are and hardships that are different from yours. And like be able to not speak for them, but be able to do your best to create like the environment that is inclusive for them. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. We're going to go into the lightning round. So we have here a series of four questions and just answer whatever comes to your mind. (laughs) The first thing rather. (laughs) So the first question here is what have you read, heard, or watched that has influenced you the most? Okay. So I'll start with 
watch slash heard. So watch slash heard would be personal experiences of people telling me their stories that have like of throughout their lives that have influenced me. So it, I mentioned earlier, like I kind of grew up in like waiting rooms for doctor's offices. From that, like I kind of became a social person because like you can't sit there for three <laughs> hours by yourself. Like you end up talking to people and like in talking to people, even as a child, like I would hear stories from people who were like full grown adults or other kids and they'd be telling me their life story and they'd be like, oh, okay, this is interesting. But like I would learn from the lessons they were telling me through their stories. I'd learn more about life and like my perspective on life has changed to be more appreciative of like what I have and what I'm able to do. So like that has influenced me. Other things I'm trying to think heard. I listen to a lot of Oprah podcasts. Like oh. I list, I re-listen to them. <laughs> I know my mom, like she grew up, like I listen to true crime because of my mom, but I also listen to Oprah because of my mom. And so she's got a couple like super soul ones that kind of help me like tap into my spirituality. Are there any particular ones? Okay, so there's one by Rain Wilson that I always listen to like on a road trip, just about like, there's this one question he asks on the episode where he's just like, what does your soul look like? And I'm just like, wow, what does my soul look like? And then I think about that. And then I think about like other people I know, like what is my perspective of what their soul looks like versus what they think Mm. their soul looks like, which is an interesting question. And then this is like probably the most surprising one, but there's a Cindy Crawford episode that every time I listen to this multiple times throughout the year. And every time I listen to it, I cry because it's like, I grew up with like the impression of Cindy Crawford being like the supermodel who's like untouchable, who's like inhuman in terms of like celebrity status. And then I like listened to the episode and she talks about growing up with her brother who had leukemia and when he passed away. And then she came from a background of people who like weren't well off and like the experiences she had between her mom and her dad that like I could kind of like identify with like traits in my own experiences. So like every time I listen to that, I connect and I cry and I'm just like, wow, someone I thought I would never connect with, like as far as like, because she's so like, so some celebrities are like so up there, like you feel like they're fictional. So like, that's what it was like for me. I'd be like, I didn't think I'd have anything to connect with this supermodel. Like, but I do. Like, and she's really cool. Like as far as podcast episode goes and the fact that she could share her story that way. So that's like things I've heard, things I've read. Oh, this is a lightning round and I'm out here like telling you. My- <laughs> <laughs> this is where we extract knowledge, yeah. more knowledge. <laughs> I know, I'm just like out here speaking like hours lengths of like what inspires me. There's this book which my older sister, so I'll mention her again because I know she thinks I never talk about her, <laughs> Mira recommended to me called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And it's about this guy's experiences like growing up, his whole life story, and then joining the Navy SEALs and going through like ranger training and things like that. And how like how many times life has beat him down and made him feel like it wasn't worth it. And then how many times he's risen up and like pushed himself. And so reading that book, actually, like, I always say this, but it's like, it's totally true. Like reading that book changed my life. Like as far as me accepting defeat in my personal life and then just like my overall life, I'm like, I don't respond to defeat and failure as negatively anymore. And now I just see it as like opportunities for me to grow. And I'm like, in the book, he always talks about like pushing his boundaries and like, just like going into like that kind of like beast mode where you're just like, okay, yeah, this happened, but I'm just going to power through it and keep going. And like that kind of mentality or that kind of thinking, like kind of changed my mentality and hearing him tell his story was really inspiring and has definitely influenced me. But yes, one quick note about Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Cause I like, I think this dude is so cool. I was running a marathon like in March. I think, I, I don't know if I told you, but I like totally shattered my femur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like it was him and like Kobe Bryant's like mamba mentality. Like that was just channeling through my brain the entire time. So it was literally like can't hurt me. Like I'm just gonna keep going. Yeah. But like the mentality that I read in that book was just like what helped me through that experience as well. Mm, yeah, that was intense. I don't know how you did it, but yeah. It's the mamba mentality. Really though, <laughs> pushing through the pain, but also like would never I need to listen to my body. Like that was a learning lesson, but also Like the feeling you get when you cross. I don't even know how to like equate that. It's like, was it worth it? I don't know. But feeling the finish line felt great. So (laughs) finishing, yeah. (laughs) Don't question it. (laughs) It is what it is. All right. Well, we'll add those to the show notes and I'll definitely check out those other Super Soul Sunday episodes (laughs) from Oprah. I have subscribed to that podcast and I do enjoy it. All right. So the next question here is, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your work? 
I have issues with like believing in myself. So I think that one of my new personal habits that's definitely been helping is just like hyping myself up to say like, I am capable of doing the things I want to do. It's like a form of self-care, I guess, in the sense that like I go through imposter syndrome to like the next level. Like I can't sleep at night because I'm like, do I even have this? Like, does my voice even matter? Like, is what I'm saying just like me talking out of my butt or like things like that? And it's like, no, I need to, I, I've been developing this habit where I'm like, no, stop saying this about yourself. You are great. You're important. Like your voice doesn't matter. And like, even if people make you feel like you don't, like you just got to keep going. And like having those like personal hype up moments, it's a new habit and I'm starting to like it. It was uncomfortable in the beginning, but it's like, it's definitely helping myself. I hope in the long run. Yeah. No, that's a good one because gosh, so many of us struggle with imposter syndrome and you need that. And if you have to put like a note on your mirror every I morning. Do. I have that. I'm like, exactly like you said. That's important. Yeah. yeah it's like <laughs> just being able to remind yourself and like also dissect the things that fuel that imposter syndrome. Cause like that helps with my hyping is like, why do you think that about yourself? Do you realize you can do this, this, and this? And I'm like, it's like an internal conversation, but it's also just like, I write those little quotes and reminders and I have them all up everywhere, like my mirrors, my desk, just like reminding myself like, okay, sometimes when you need that pep talk, you just, you need to take the time to give yourself a pep talk because I've always had like a hard time just believing that like I can do things and that I even matter, like things like that. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that you do matter, <laughs> Thank you. especially to this podcast, your voice matters. So yes, you are needed. Please stay in the game <laughs> that means more to me than you might know like it means a lot to me that you said that thank you no. i'm so bad at receiving but i'm like really thank you for saying that yeah i mean there's just something about your spirit and your energy that i feel is it's true and i really feel that you are making a significant impact more than you realize so we are documenting <laughs> it right now <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you received from those many sticky notes? <laughs> it's something my mom said, which is like letting it hurt and then letting it go, but like not letting it define you. Hmm. I know I'm saying letting a lot, but it's literally like on the sticky note. So it's just like accepting what things are, like acknowledging them is one step. Then the next is like, let that go because like, let what you can't change go and just not letting that define you. Like the things that happen to you don't define you. It's how you come out of the fire. I think that matters. Yeah. They do define you to an extent because like I always say like it's all the bullying I received when I was little like that doesn't define me. And it's, it's a part of the origin story, but it's not a part of the character story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. All right. So have you thought about what your superpower is? I have been mulling on this <laughs> before. Okay. My superpower, not giving up and not mm. taking no sorry, we can't help you or we can't do that as an answer. Because like, especially in situations with my sister, like where people have told us like, we can't do things or like this place isn't meant for us. Like, I don't take that very well. And I don't take like, especially when it comes to my sister, like if they say like, oh, wheelchairs can't go here. I'm like, we'll make the space then. Like, or I'll make it myself or I'll never come back here or things like that. We shouldn't have to like make these exceptions and just have to take it from some people who are just like outwardly mean like we don't have to take no as an answer in certain situations and we don't have to like take the kind of negativity we receive and it's like i don't have to be quiet i can be vocal especially because like she's not able to herself right i mean how else does change come about anyways if you're just going to be complacent or quiet you're not going to get the change that you need to see and you're not going to be able to create that space that she needs and people like her mm -hmm. need. So yeah, don't take no for an answer. I also like, as we were talking, I was like thinking about how many times I said, like I speak for my sister and I was like thinking about, is that problematic in any sense? I don't know. I speak for my sister based solely on the fact that she literally can't speak for herself, but I don't speak on behalf of like the entire disabled community because there are people who can speak. But I just want to like make sure that's clear to whoever's listening. I'm just trying to speak like on behalf of what I feel my sister deserves and shouldn't have to just accept. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up again. I think it's, at least for me, it's been very clear. And okay. that's really like, the basis of the podcast is it's your own individual experiences as you navigate through this world. And 
sometimes it's not such a bad thing to speak for someone's right. Because, I mean, isn't that part of being an advocate, right? Yes. So, uh, yeah, I don't feel like you're taking anything away from Devika. (laughs) I don't feel like you're misrepresenting her or anything of that sort. If anything, then you and your family are the only people who really want, like truly, truly want what's best for her, right? Yes, definitely. I just, I was like so scared. I was like... (laughs) I mean, and it's sincere. This is how you feel. And this is what you believe. So I don't think that you're speaking for the entire community and... This podcast is not about speaking for an entire community. In fact, no, it's no, like you're trying totally to do right. the opposite. <laughs> you're totally, like literally your first question was like, tell me your experiences. And I was like, oh, yes. Like <laughs> Over the course of speaking, I do what I normally do. And I'm just like looking for the faults in what I say. Yeah. No, it's a good reminder too. And I think sometimes we discuss fairly sensitive issues. And I think it's important to remind people that this is as you see it. You're not speaking for anyone except for yourself. So that's very loud and clear. Thank you. I was just making sure. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't hurt at all. And thank you for that. So as we have to put our conversation on a pause here, how can we follow you on your journey? Great question. Uh, Social media is probably my biggest one because I'm most active like on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I respond to like most of my DMs in the comments for sure. Um, so my handle is at and then Ganges Gal. Ganges like the river. G-A-N-G-E-S-G-A-L. It's the river and it's also like the name of this ride that I really like at Disneyland, but don't tell Disney that. <laughs> I communicate mostly through there and also through my website, gangesgal.com, where I like I share blog posts and then like my personal stories and experiences with Devika. And on there, like I have like her origin stories as far as like how she got leukemia, like that whole story that I told you in the beginning, but I kind of like in-depth experience of that. And then just like little, I guess, blips of experiences we've had together, like on her worst seizure nights or just like experiences we've had when we're outdoors and things like that. I wanted to be able to tell my stories like on some sort of platform. And then I realized like, oh, the best platform is the one you give yourself, right? So I made a website. <laughs> but yeah, whoever is listening, if you want to follow me, you can reach out to me on any of those. I'm also on Twitter. It's Ganges underscore gal. Someone else owns that one, but I just <laughs> had to put the underscore in there. Yeah. And yeah, that's probably the best way. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for that. And as we close out, is there anything else you would like to add? Just thank you. Really? Like, I genuinely mean that. Thank you so much for like reaching out to me. I'm so happy we got to like connect because firstly, it's awesome to like know someone who is creating like a platform to amplify voices and to tell these stories. But then also, it's like the connection that like you're Indian from Africa. <laughs> I'm not sure if your viewers know this about you or if I'm like over revealing it. So please tell me to stop. No, they do. They oh, do. they do. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was just like, I don't want to overshare, but I'm like, I think it's so cool that we have that connection because yeah. the only people I know are like people in my family. And like, I know like two families as far as family friends go. And so like, you can totally relate like how we talked in our previous conversations, like on some of the things that being a part of the Indian American diaspora, but also Indian yeah. Africa. It's like, it's a whole different type of diaspora. So being able to relate on that is really cool. And the fact that like you reached out and we found each other and like, that means a lot. So thank you. I'm so happy to met you. Aw. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you so much for all oh, your kind words. It really does mean a lot to me. And it's kind of serendipitous how I kind of stumbled upon the page, I mean, the account. I don't even know if I was really looking for it, but just like reading your story and Devika's story, it was just, it was something that needed to be shared with more people. <laughs> but yeah, I just, same thing. I was so shocked when I learned that your family's from Kenya and Uganda. I'm like, what are the odds right? of this it's happening? Like, well, I want to say one in a million, but I feel like the numbers are like a little more than that because I really <laughs> yeah. don't know anybody like... And it's really cool because it's like, I'm sure you know, like all the awesome things about like Mukka, like the food things that we have in common mm-hmm. and like little things like that. Like it's that kind of community that I, I haven't really had outside like my family and my close family friends. But it's cool. It's cool to know someone like yeah. who gets it. <laughs> and just like the social quirks that like when you're interacting with like the larger part of the Indian community, like it's totally different. So 
<laughs> I like that there's someone who can relate to that. Yeah. That's definitely like a side thing to like the fact that you're definitely inspiring. I feel like I'm just going to take like an hour to just talk about how inspired I am by your career, but Aww. I really am. <laughs> I really am. Like the nonprofit work you do for water and community. Oh my gosh. It's goals. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I am like totally crumbling with, I don't know, embarrassment, humility. Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean it. I definitely mean it. Thank you. Hey all, thanks for listening to Breaking Green Ceilings. If you'd like to hear more episodes with change-making environmentalists, head on over to watersavvysolutions.com backslash podcast. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, if you love the show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like on iTunes. You can also sign up for my newsletter to find out when new episodes are available. And please do share the podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and whoever you think will be inspired by the wisdom of our change makers. I always welcome feedback, so please do feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is also on watersavvysolutions.com. Until next time, keep breaking through those green ceilings.